Michelle T's books have been a light in the dark for a lot of misfit teens who grew up poor. In her books, Passionate Mistakes, Valencia, and Rent Girl, she talks about growing up in a working class family and finding her own way on the streets of Boston and San Francisco as a queer woman in the early 90s. The books are full of vivid images of sleeping on gross mattresses in God knows whose apartment, of staying up all night drinking and constantly moving in search of cheap rent. But these days, in her 40s, Michelle's life and her relationship to money have both changed a lot. She's sober, she's got a stable partner, a baby, and a successful career as a writer. In her recent memoir, How to Grow Up, Michelle talks a lot about her changing relationship to the idea of money. She even has this money prayer. When I called her up, the first thing I asked Michelle was, could you recite the money prayer? I don't know if it's a prayer. I guess it's a prayer. Why not? Why not? Any any intentional thing, I suppose, can be a prayer. Um, I, I stole this prayer. It's not my prayer. I stole it from Inga Musio, who is another author who wrote the, the book Cunt, an um, autobiography of a blue-eyed devil. She was speaking at um, a reading series I was hosting, and somebody asked her. We had a really engaged Q&A afterwards, and money for writers came up, like how do writers support themselves? And she shared her money chant, which is, I'm a money magnet. Money comes to me. Money is sexually attracted to me. Money wants to be me. I think I tacked onto it. I love money. I am money. Um, and I did that because um, I didn't love money and I didn't feel like I was money. I felt like I was the opposite of money. I felt like I was a money repellent. Um, and that comes from, you know, growing up poor working class uh, in a family that didn't like their jobs, didn't have jobs that were fulfilling to them. So work and the earning of money was sort of a curse that we were all um, enduring and struggling against. And, you know, money, people who had money in, in my family were very demonized, you know, the idea of them. We didn't know, actually know any people with money in real life, but you know, it was, there was a lot of like money goes to money and, you know, rich people are immoral and, and terrible and stuff like that. So I grew up with that and I kept it. And, um, it's some, you know, and I kind of put like more of like a punk rock, um, aesthetic onto it and thought that it was my own and didn't really see how I was just kind of following, um, the culture of my family in a way. I'm from uh, Chelsea, Massachusetts. It's a immigrant-heavy, working-class, working-poor city in Massachusetts. My, my, my parents, you know, my father worked for the post office. Um, I don't remember what he did before that, but my mother helped him get that job when we were very young. And then my mother stayed at home with us until, she was, until I was around in, I think, like fourth or fifth grade. She went, my city has a free nursing school. It's connected to the VA hospital in the city, and um, it's a great place for poor women, especially poor women on the verge of leaving their husbands, which my mother was, to go and get a career. So she did that. She went through that school. She graduated. And in return for the free education, you have to work for the VA hospital for a certain period of time. So my mother has stayed in that field. She works. She does geriatric nursing, and um, and that helped her get a career and make money to be able to leave my father but she was still you know like a single mom after that he kind of vanished with like a single income raising the two of us but yeah you know it's very 
working class place. I never grew up thinking that a job was something that you pursued that you loved. You know, I wasn't raised to go to college and I actually found the process of trying to go to college without that familial support really, really difficult. Like I didn't, even just applying for colleges was so financially overwhelming, you know, having to ask my mother. I remember asking my mother for $50 so that I could apply to Tulane because I really liked Anne Rice and I wanted to go to school in New Orleans. <laughs> and her just being like, you already asked me for $50 to apply to the School of Visual Arts in New York City. All of these places and all of these schools seemed so unreal that I know she just felt like I was taking her $50 and like throwing it into the abyss. And I was, you know, I didn't have the support to do that. I ended up going to a state school in Salem, Massachusetts. And I, I did that on my own and I got some loans to do it. I worked for a year after high school to save money to do it. And then I just kind of couldn't keep it up. What was your relationship to money at this time? Were you, because you were saying if you wanted to be a writer, you were like, screw it, you're a punk, the system wasn't working for you. Were you basically just like, fuck money, fuck the system, I'm just going to scrounge by on whatever I can? I mean, pretty much. Like, I all I knew was scrounging by on whatever I could. And I was never... It, you know, it, I was never expected to accomplish more or gain more. And watching my family kind of struggle and hate their work, I just saw work and money as like a necessary evil that you needed. Um, so I, 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 my plan was looking at all of this was like, you just want to get some crappy job that you don't care about too much. You need cheap rent and then you can do your own thing on the side. You know, and then I, to me, the the way to solve the problem that I saw growing up in my family was to have something meaningful that you did outside your work. It wasn't get a better job so that your work, so that your life is meaningful. You know, it was more like that didn't seem like an option. It was like you're going to have a job that you hate and that's going to oppress you because you are stuck in the bottom of this system. What you need is something that gives your life meaning outside of it. And so for me, that was writing. So I never expected to be a writer, make money at writing, have a job that was related to literature that was inspiring to me. I thought I would work, you know, like in a cafe or something for my whole life and just after work, do my writing and that would give my life meaning and I would have a higher quality of life than my parents for that. At what point did that really start to change for you? At what, point, at what point were you like, I'm a writer and also I need to get paid for my writing? It didn't happen to me for a very, very long time. Um, because the reality was I couldn't get paid for my writing, you know? Um, and when I see a lot of writers who are up and coming and who have that, that like writers need to get paid and you know, I'm not going to work for free. Like I agree theoretically with that, but the reality for most writers, especially if you are a writer who is coming into your career through small presses and you know, not, you didn't go to Iowa and get kind of like funneled into a, a high powered agent through your professor. And now you got a big book deal. Like that only happens to a few people, right? Or maybe it happens to lots of people. I don't know. It's like I worked for free because that was all that was available to me. And I wanted to write and I wanted to put my writing out into the world. I wanted to be part of the conversation. I, you know, I, 
I'm not the kind of writer that would have written a book and put it in a drawer. I like, I need to know that there's a purpose to what I'm doing, that it's getting out there. It's reaching people. That's why when I first moved to San Francisco, I was doing spoken word because it was a very immediate way to have my work reach people. I would just go to a bar at night with my new poem and I'd read it and I'd get a response, you know, and it was a very vibrant, very engaged and engaging um, scene in San Francisco in the early nineties. So it, you know, I thought I would be a writer. I didn't know how to make that happen. I got to San Francisco. There was this very easy kind of populist democratic way to just put your writing out there. And, um, and I'm so thankful for it. As Michelle's book started getting more of an audience in the late 90s, she started making a living as a writer. But another big thing happened that changed her relationship to money. She started going to addiction counseling and got sober. Especially once I got sober, which happened, gosh, probably about like a solid decade after I started writing, right? Um, I realized that without the sort of like blurring and numbing effects of alcohol and the sort of like attendant denial that comes when you're an active alcoholic, it was actually really hard to be um, so broke. You know, it was hard and it was heartbreaking and it was scary and I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. And I just felt for the first time the, the real feelings of sort of sorrow that come with, you know, being so broke and so kind of helpless in the face of your economic situation. And prior to that, I just had a lot of bravado around it, you know, and when that went away, I just, I was sort of, I guess, humbled by it. And I wanted to know a different way, you know, and I slowly sort of accepted that it was okay for me to want things, you know, which I, I always wanted things, but, um, I don't know when all I wanted was like a, dress I could find on the street. It was okay, you know, and then that just stopped being enough, I guess, you know, and I wanted, I wanted more. And that was really scary and a scary and, and really sad moment because I just didn't really know how to do it. And for the first time, I, I really felt trapped in my life. Like because of the way that I romanticized being a writer, I romanticized being broke. I romanticized being an alcoholic, like all of that worked for a while. And so I didn't care that I was making like literally like $7,000 a year, you know, um, and just only having enough money for like a 40 ouncer and whatever I could find on the sale rack at a thrift store, you know, but I got older and I started seeing the full picture of the world and what's available. And I started questioning, like, why do I think that I can't have that? And, um, I just remember like being at Trader Joe's and my, my bank card being denied. I didn't have enough money to pay for my groceries and, you know, being so humiliated by that and, and embarrassed and and sad and upset. I wanted those groceries, you know, and just feeling like I'm not in control of my life. Like I don't understand money. I really demonized money. And I, I sort of created this story about myself that money is something that I don't understand. I hate money. I'm not a money person. Don't put me in charge of the money, you know, and it was not true. Like anybody can be a money person. There's this really frustrating trend of equating having money with having power as if it's a feminist act to just be involved with gaining more money. The biggest example of this is Ivanka Trump, who this last month gave a keynote talk at the Women's Summit of the G20. 
talking about how essentially being rich is empowering. Some of the media coverage of the event asked, is Ivanka Trump the new face of feminism? I asked Michelle about this. Um, well, I mean, having power, power doesn't equal feminism. You know, even women having power doesn't equal feminism. Like to me, feminism is a suite of values and ideals that work together. It's not just like, I, I work in a bank, so I'm a feminist. You know, I'm sure lots of feminists work at banks, but they're not feminists because they work at a bank, you know, and obviously there's lots of wealthy women who are feminists, but they're not feminists because they're wealthy, you know? Um, to me, I don't even know that my, the kind of awakening I had to my financial situation, I, I don't necessarily see that as like a feminist thing within my life. You know, to me, it was just about, um, accepting reality on reality's terms, you know, and, and allowing myself to want more for myself and, and getting it. I mean, I think that, it's easy to look at all the horrible things that money has done. And obviously like income inequality is out of control globally. Global capitalism is a menace to humans, to the earth, to animals. I mean, it's just horrible. Like there has to be another system than the one that we're all struggling with. I mean, so crazy when you think about it, it's like we've created this earth. Like we could have created it in any way. And this is what we've got. It's like so unimaginative and, and mean spirited. Um, so that said within that, I don't believe you have to be mean spirited in order to, you know, make money. Um, I can get paralyzed by looking at the systems that are so much larger than me that I have really limited power over. And I end up in a place of, um, where I'm suffering. And I just, at some point, I guess I just decided I didn't want to suffer. And so to some extent you do accept and participate in this shitty system, right? So I don't think I'm a monster, but I do think that I'm a part of a system that is oppressing us all, including myself. And, you know, I, I'm not willing to live a life that's like off the grid, you know, where I'm just like growing my own food and, you know, not, not partaking. I, that's just not my path in this life. Like I would be really miserable. So at some point, I guess <laughs> you're I'm, like, you're, you're like, I'm a terrible farmer. Don't yeah, look like I mean, I just like, I don't, that's just like not what I'm here to do, you know, like it's just not. <laughs> and so at some point I just have to accept that like, I am a product of my place and time and I'm a, you know, I support the systems that are killing me like we all do. And that is part to me of the like bizarre paradox of like our existence, like not to get so meta about it, but to me, they're really huge existential questions, you know, and, um, which I think is why, you know, I allowed my answers to be what they were in the past and allowed myself to be sort of like victimized by stuff is because it's so, I do see the big picture of how horrible all of this is. And, and it's painful to be allow yourself to become a part of it, or it was for me, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, where being anti-capitalist doesn't mean wanting everyone to be really poor. It means wanting everyone to have enough to be stable and happy and be able yeah. to support for themselves and their families. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that was a huge switch for me, because there was a point when I was in my 20s where I did want everyone to be poor. I really did. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was more righteous, you know? And I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe anyone's righteousness is solely attached to how much money they have. Michelle T's most recent book is called Black Wave, 
It's a dreamlike, dystopian meditation on sobriety and adulthood. Check it out.